Yes, it is uh, good to have Gary and Faith, Claire and Kate with us, and um, we should count it a great privilege, the servants of the Lord that have given their life to the coal people, or to the Lord, <laughs> to minister to the coal people, and um, the outreach that is happening now, as the locals over there have learnt, have understood, have become God's children and are now ministering to their own people. And that's the way it works. <laughs> and God is working. And so we're really blessed to have you here. And may God use you as, and speak through you to us today. Thank you, Brother Gary. Just in my wrap-up of uh, Sunday School this morning, I should have mentioned uh, one thing that I saw that was really good, and that was something that Tony did. Um, he set up a situation. He wanted a particular word. He wanted the word yes or no. And he set up a situation and uh, got a response. And uh, yeah, that, that's a really good technique. So that's something I should have drawn out at the end. It was good to see. Um, okay, I'm just going over announcements here. Uh, who's from Warrigal? Who's the person from Warrigal? Oh, okay. Hello. I'm from Nearham North. <laughs> it's just up the road. I went. I went to I did uh, Year Twelve at Warrigal, and another high school at uh, um, Years Seven to uh, Nine at Newham South. Uh, Eleven at Newham South. Okay. And the other thing is, oh, can I really encourage you uh, to come out tonight? Uh, we'll be showing our presentation tonight. Uh, the main thing we're doing tonight. The main thing is the presentation of the the coal work. Uh, you will see some things that you will probably never ever get this, the chance to see again if you don't come out. And so I'd really encourage you, I know some people can't, but if, if there's a chance that you could, can I urge you to, to do it? I'm sure that you'll be glad that you did and uh, you'll find it very interesting. So um, if you can, uh, please try and make it and um, I'm sure it'll be worth it. I think that's about it. Um, Okay, so let's start our message. All right, my question to you is, where do you go around here for your holidays? Um, maybe over the border to Wodonga? Maybe not. <laughs> uh, Sydney or Melbourne is a good chance. Um, maybe in a, in a state... Yeah, where it's a bit warmer. Well, um, probably not news to you, but each year millions of people from countries right around the world fly to Nevada to take their holidays in Las Vegas. It's one of the most visited cities in the world. And what's the attractions there? Multitudes of strip clubs, Adult shops, rampant prostitution, casinos, drug suppliers, easy marriage, easy divorce, bars, nightclubs, and 24-hour liquor sales. One website says you can get a drink 24-7 and even drink while walking in the streets. There is gambling in many other states, but I think only Vegas puts people in a sin state of mind. Another attraction that draws people is that there's very legal, uh, very little legal restriction in Las Vegas. And so people think they can do whatever they want with little accountability. And there's a saying, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. 
And that's why it has the nickname of Sin City. In the book of Acts, we read about another place, which also was known years ago as Sin City. Um, just before I press on, is there anyone who hasn't got a handout that uh, would like a handout so they didn't get one in their bulletin this morning? If there is, Faith can handsome or maybe Tim. Uh, there's one here, thanks. Yeah, this will help you to follow along. If you, if you want a handout, just raise your hand and, and someone will give you one. Okay, yes, in the book of Acts, we also read about another sin city, and it was the city of Antioch. Now, we're talking today about the Antioch of Syria. There were uh, 16 other Antiochs, I think it was, in those days uh, at that time. Um, two mentioned in the Bible, but the one we're looking at today is the one in Syria, not too far north of Israel. Okay, well, what do we know about Antioch? Okay, well, geographically, first of all, Antioch was built in a superb location. had a beautiful climate. It was on the banks of the Orontes River and was situated in an excellent position with respect to trade. It wasn't too far from the Mediterranean Ocean, so that gave the people access to shipping. But also, it wasn't too far from the inland trade route, the uh, camel caravans and so forth. It went between Mesopotamia down to Arabia. So, excellent geographical location. Uh, secondly, socially, it had a real cosmopolitan flavour to it. There was a mix of, of, uh, of people, all sorts of people, living in uh, Antioch. Persians, Greeks, Romans, Arabs, Jews. They dwelt together quite well there in Antioch. Uh, there was a population of around about half a million people. That made it the third largest city in the world in those times. First largest was... Rome. Second was Alexandria, and uh, Antioch came in third. Socially, yeah, cosmopolitan. Thirdly, culturally, oh, Antioch was a real fun place to live. It was a real fun place. Lots of entertainment. The main street, just just the main street, was over five kilometres long, and it was paved with marble. There were also marble colonnades, like marble pillars down the side in pairs going right down the main street there and it was lit up at night too that was the only city in the world at that time where you could go around at night under lights 24-7 and, uh, and do the things you wanted to do because it was so attractive because of the beautiful climate there many wealthy Roman officials would take their savings over to Antioch and retire there holiday there yep but also retire there as well. And there was lots of leisure things they, they enjoyed doing. Lots of money, lots of things to spend it on. One of the things they really enjoyed doing was gambling. Going down to the Hippodrome, like in Ben-Hur, they raced around, going down to the Hippodrome, watching the chariot races and gambling on the chariot races. Uh, they also enjoyed going to theatre, and there was a good theatre set up there for them. And uh, just going to the public baths as well, sitting in a, in a bath and just talking to your friends in the public baths was also something to do. Hey, Antioch was a fun place. It was a fun place to go to and visit and take your holidays. And uh, it was well known in those times for being a place of relaxation, pleasure, let your hair down, do the things you want to do.
But like Las Vegas, Antioch was also a centre of great vice. We're probably all aware of how corrupt Rome was. You've heard stories about the Caesars and Claudius and those sorts of things that they did. Well, one Roman author, Juvenal, he wrote satire, he suggested that one of the causes for the corruption in Rome was the influence of Antioch. In one of his satires, he wrote, the Orontes River flowed down into the Tiber and then flooded Rome with its wickedness, which is yeah, like there's a fair distance between Rome and uh, Syria, Antioch and Syria. Nevertheless, he was saying that uh, the depravity practiced in Antioch was influencing values in Rome. Among the many vices practiced in Antioch, like in Las Vegas, was prostitution. And like in Corinth as well, it was rampant. And it was also, just like in Corinth, prostitution was also a part of the local religion. And in Antioch, one of the main local religions was the worship of Daphne, the goddess Daphne. And prostitution was a part of that. So that was the fame of Antioch in the ancient world. It was the Las Vegas, the glamour city of Las Vegas in its day. It was the sin city of the first century. However, in our time, that's not what we know Antioch for. In fact, some of you are probably sitting there thinking, hey, I didn't know that. Because we hear about Antioch in another context. The city of Antioch, for us, is famous for another reason. We know it, we've heard of it, due to something else that went on there. Something that Luke wrote about in the book of Acts in the New Testament. Luke tells us that a church was planted in Antioch. And in Luke's mind, that was a, a very significant event. Today, I'd like to look at how that happened. How a church was planted in the city of Antioch. And why was it so significant? Why did Luke mark it out as being such a significant event? So that's what we're going to uh, listen about today, read about today, to see what Luke has to say about the, the uh, establishment, the planting of a church there in Antioch. Before we press on and uh, look at uh, uh, what Luke wrote, wrote there, let's uh, pause and ask the Lord to help us. And Father, that's exactly what we do right now. We pause and we look to you because we know that uh, if your spirit um, is involved in the teaching learning process, then it all works. It's meaningful to our hearts. We can uh, zero in, we can focus in on what your word is saying and it's meaningful. It's like light that, that uh, comes on in our hearts and gives us insight and understanding and also helps us to see some applications as well. And so we're asking for that this morning. We pray, Lord, that uh, you would teach us, you'd help me to present the material, help us all, um, me included, Lord, to learn from it as well as we go through your word. We commit the time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, well, first of all, the first thing we're going to look at, and it's on our outline there, is the establishment of the church. How was the church 
planted in the uh, the early days here. How, how did it get started? Okay, so we're in Acts 11, and we'll we'll reread um, verses 19, 20, and 21 to see how it all got started there in Sin City. So Acts 11, 19 to 21. Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen, travelled as far as Phenis or Phoenicia, and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which, when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. Okay, so here uh, Luke is telling us about the initial evangelism that was carried out in Antioch that resulted in a church being planted. Okay, who was involved in that? Who, who did that? Well, Luke tells us that it was carried out by certain believers who had fled from Jerusalem. They fled Jerusalem because really difficult things were happening there for them. Their lives were threatened because of persecution that was going on due to something that centred around Stephen. Something that Stephen was saying and doing sparked all just a real uproar and people had to get out of Jerusalem and make a run for it. Stephen was one of the very first Christians who realised that the death, burial and resurrection had ramifications that were going to affect the old mosaic way of, of worshipping God. Stephen saw that. Stephen saw that changes were coming. Now when Stephen spoke up, and we read about that in Acts chapter uh, 7, uh, end of 6 and 7, when Stephen spoke up, the Jewish authorities heard what he was saying and were very uneasy about the things that he was saying. They didn't agree with Stephen and they didn't want the changes that Stephen said were coming. And so not only did they put Stephen to death, but they also tried to, to put a, a stop to the Christian movement that was springing up as a result of, of Stephen and other things going on there in Jerusalem. And... Uh, Saul and others uh, tried to stop what was happening by persecuting uh, intensely the, 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 this new church that had uh, in Jerusalem that had uh, sprung up after the day of Pentecost. So Stephen spoke up, there was persecution and believers fled from Jerusalem and went in all directions. But quite a few of them went to Antioch. They... Uh, went to Antioch as well as Cyprus and uh, Phenis, Phoenicia and other places. But Antioch was a good place to go because there are already over 500,000 Jews living in Antioch. And so if you fled to Antioch, you could mingle in with the Jewish population that was already there. wouldn't be too hard to find accommodation. Relatives, one tox is what we say in Papua New Guinea, people that speak the same language, not too hard to, to mingle in and to start a, a new life if, if you fled to Antioch. And that's what many of them did. And Luke tells us that as these refugees, as these displaced people arrived at Antioch uh, seeking for accommodation, looking to re-establish themselves, they communicated the gospel with the people down there in Antioch that they met. 
And that makes sense, doesn't it? The locals of, Ant of Cyprus and Cyrene and, and Antioch and that, they would naturally want to know why a great mass of people have left Jerusalem and uh, are looking for accommodation there in their city. That makes sense. Uh, which reminds me of an illustration, something that happened to me um, some many years ago when I was still living on the farm with mum and dad up at Nearham North. Uh, it was a Sunday afternoon and I uh, had a knock on the front door, went to the front door, opened it, and there was a lady standing at the front door holding a baby. And she seemed to know who I was, but she said, hello, I've decided to move in. And she just come through, through the door. And mum came out of the kitchen at the end of the hallway and, and she goes, hello, Auntie Jean, I've decided to move in. Now, mum wasn't her auntie, she's just a friend. Uh, she was, mum knew who she was. She, she saw her many years ago, years ago when she was a teenager. But the, girl, the lady said, hello, Auntie Jean, I've decided to move in. So mum showed her where the spare room was and uh, this lady put a baby in the spare room, went back to the car, got some nappies, suitcase, as far as she was concerned, she was moving in. Now, I can tell you from experience that when that sort of thing happens, one of the questions that comes in your mind is, why <laughs> is she moving in? What's, what's going on? It's just the way it is. And it was a way for the people of, of Cyprus and Antioch uh, and Cyrene, Cyrene and so forth. Um, they're wondering... Why are all these people arriving here in our city and wanting to move in with us? What's the reason? And so, as they asked those questions, they were told. They were told. The people fleeing from Jerusalem told them why they were arriving there at, at Antioch. And they were the people that did the evangelizing. They were unnamed believers that were fleeing from persecution, from a very dangerous situation up there in Jerusalem. So that's who did the evangelizing. Unnamed believers fleeing from Jerusalem. Okay, number two, what did they do? Well, as we just heard, had they start the church, as we just heard, they spoke to the people that they came in contact with when they arrived there in, in Antioch. They just spoke to the people about, about the gospel. Now, as Luke discusses how the gospel was spreading out from Jerusalem in that way, he mentioned a detail, just a little detail, a phrase about who some of the people that these Jewish believers, Jewish believers fleeing from Jerusalem, spoke the gospel to. I'd like to reread that little detail that Luke included there in his account. I'm going to go halfway through uh, uh, verse 19. I'm going to pick up at the word Stephen, okay? And I'm going to read from there on. And verse 20 as well. So I'll just pick up with the word Stephen. Travelled as far as Phenis and Cyprus and Antioch. Preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus or Cyrene, uh, Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians. Preaching the Lord Jesus. Okay, so what did they do? These people, these refugees, these displaced people, when they arrived there, they preached Jesus. Yes, they preached the gospel, but at Antioch, they just didn't preach it to other Jews, which was a normal thing to do. 
Luke tells us that they also, also preached it to the Gentiles, to the Grecians. Hellenists, not in the same sense of Acts 6, but just non-Jews who spoke the Greek language, the Grecians, Greek-speaking people. They also preached it to the Grecians, to the Gentiles. Now, let's not read over that too quickly, because in Luke's mind, that is a very significant detail. Okay, why? Why is it so important? Because preaching the gospel to Gentiles like that was a radical thing to do. It wasn't the done thing at that time, and it went completely against the Jewish mindset to do that. According to the Jews, in in the Jewish thinking, the Gentiles were like neighbours that they really didn't get along with too well, the Jews from Jerusalem. They were like bad neighbours, Jews and Gentiles. And it had been like that for a long time. Some of you may have seen uh, that profound uh, current affairs program uh, that goes into profound um, accounts of things, world news and so forth. On, on, on Channel 9, I think it's on, it's called Current Affair. goes into profound stories like um, um, new diets and uh, neighbours not getting along with each other over the back fence, that sort of thing. Have you ever seen that, that program? Okay. So you've probably seen some of those stories, you know, bad neighbours that don't get along with each other, in-depth stories about that. My, um, dad, father, my dad told me a story about um, bad neighbours that didn't get along. Uh, he had a friend by the name of Bill, uh, Bill was from Bunyip, and Bill uh, uh, he's passed on, but uh, Bill told Dad that um, he had a, uh, a neighbour that he didn't, didn't, they, they just didn't get along uh, very well together, Bill and, and, and his neighbour. And uh, Bill told Dad that one day his neighbour, actually, like they're on a, they're, I think they shared the boundary fence, there's a boundary fence like that. This is my impression. And Bill's neighbour's house was there on that side of the fence. Bill's house was down here on this side of the fence. And Dad said that one day apparently Bill's neighbour came down and made a sidage stack right beside Bill's house on his side of the fence. If you know what sidage is, okay, we're in the country, we know what sidage is. Um, grass, you pile grass up and after a few months it starts to smell. And after you know nine months it really smells. And especially when you open it up, if it's if you cover it with dirt, you open it up, it smells even more when you feed out to cows. Okay, Bill didn't appreciate that. So uh, one day after that happened, uh, when one of Bill's cows died, Bill tied it to the back of his vehicle and he dragged it down and he left it on the side of the fence not too far from his neighbour's house. Now I don't know if you know much about dead cows, but once they've been dead for quite a few months, it's not good. And, uh, yeah, they were like bad neighbours that didn't get along. Now, the Jews and the Gentiles were a bit like that too. They were bad neighbours that really didn't get along. And one of the main reasons for that was the Mosaic law. The law of Moses instructed the Jews not to, not, 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 not to copy the, the way of the Gentiles and to keep separate from them, not to imitate their ways to resist adopting their ways. And so the Jews had this inward nationalistic uh, attitude. Now, the Gentiles that lived around them didn't appreciate that. 
they knew what the Jews thought about them and they didn't appreciate being thought, out, thought about like that. There was resentment between the Jews and the Gentiles because of the way the Jews regarded the Gentiles. Jews didn't regard them too highly. Gentiles didn't appreciate that. There's, there's friction there. And so they were like bad neighbours that didn't get along. And by the way, when Jesus told his disciples, go ye therefore into all the world, teach all nations, what he was saying to his disciples was really right outside the square. They really didn't get it. They were very slow. Because what did they do? They, after he went back to heaven, they went back in Jerusalem. They stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed, and as far as they're concerned, they continued following the Jewish times of prayer. Uh, Peter and John kept on going to the temple and so forth. They, they, they were just staying on there. It actually took the persecution that arose about Stephen to, to move them out a bit. But the, even the apostles, even the apostles, they were slow to get it. And so what Luke is saying here in Acts when he says that uh, some of the Jewish believers travelled down to Antioch and they shared the gospel with Gentiles, that's a very significant significant thing that he's saying very significant not only were the people sharing the gospel with the gentiles but hordes of gentiles apparently were responding to it and god was blessing it all so luke is telling us about a very significant event he's, de he's describing how the gospel is coming out of the world of the jews and going over the bridge into the world of the gentiles and god was all for it god seemed to be blessing it Okay, so this is news. This is news for the apostles. This is news for the believers um, of the early church at that time. It was something that they were just starting to realise, that God is willing to work among the Gentiles and save them on a large scale. So realising that was a very significant turning point uh, in the life of the early church as far as their outreach goes. That's why it was so significant because it, it was something that uh, hadn't been done before. Just before we move on to the second point there on your sheet, I'd like to, uh, just by application, mention another time in church history when a new realisation like that had a significant impact upon the progress of missionary activity. Now, some of you might be thinking, aha, I know what he's going to mention. He's going to mention what happened at the end of the 1700s when William Carey convinced the Protestant church that the Great Commission was still in, in effect. It was still, should have been still operating. He convinced them of that and that kicked off the start of the, missionary, the modern missions movement and, and thousands and thousands of, of missionaries were sent out across the world. And the Protestant, the Catholics have been... Early, active a little bit early but the protestant mission modern mission, missionary movement started then some of you think he's going to, probably going to talk about that no i'd like to talk about something else now I, that, that certainly triggered a, a significant advance but i want to talk about something else which also tr triggered a significant advance in the progress of missionary activity but it's not as well known as, as obviously what um, happened in, at the end of you know, about 1790, I think it was, when William Carey spoke up. Another movement. The catalyst for this one was a Presbyterian missionary by the name of Ralph Winter. Just like William Carey wrote a document, 
that had ramifications, so too. Ralph Winter wrote a document. It was on the subject of missions. And he presented that document at a conference on missions. In that document, he began by acknowledging that after around 170 years of missionary activity since the William Carey and the modern mission, uh, missions movement um, started, after around 170 years of missionary activity, the gospel had succeeded in going out around the world. And there was now, this is in the 70s, 1970, there was now just about a church in just about every country of the world, just a, just a few exceptions, Albania, one notable one. Okay, so, so he said, yes, the gospel's gone out around the world now, and there's a, a Christian church in pretty well every country of the world. But as a result of that, he said, many Christians had the impression that the job of missions was just about over. It just about finished. And all that was left to do were for the Christians in their, their, their own countries to complete the job by evangelising within their own political borders, their own political boundaries. Okay, so that's how he started his document, by acknowledging that. And then by saying, because yeah, the gospel's gone out, there's a church in just about every country of the world now, Okay, people are thinking that the job of missions is almost over. Now it's up to the people within their own countries to finish the job by evangelising within their own political boundary. Okay, here's the point. Winter pointed out that there is a very serious flaw with, with that sort of thinking. It breaks down, is what he pointed out. He said that even though the gospel may have entered every country of the world, there were still many people groups within those countries that are cut off from the gospel because of cultural and ethnic reasons, barriers. And so Winter said, instead of targeting countries and focusing on political boundaries, such as China and Hungary and Mongolia, mission agencies and missionaries needed to target specific people groups within those countries and send missionaries to them to penetrate, not just penetrate countries, but penetrate people groups. One author, Timothy Tennant, has written, the year 1974, and this address in particular, by Winter, has become the dividing line representing a fundamental shift in how Christian leaders and missionaries think about the missionary task. Another author wrote, This concept and the subsequent emphasis on unreached peoples as opposed to unreached fields has been globally seismic in the transformation of missions. In other words, it gave missions a big shake-up. And so this was another watershed moment for the development of missions because it reshaped the meaning of the term mission field. And it gave further clarity to what the mission tasks involved. So that was another time when there was a new realisation and that had a, a, a significant impact upon the progress of missionary activity around the world. Okay, so what have we seen? What have we seen so far? Okay, we've seen how the church at Antioch has been established, how it was planted. It was by unnamed believers 
fleeing persecution from Jerusalem, speaking the gospel, but not just to other Jews, also to Gentiles. Okay, the establishment of the church. Next, we're going to look at the growth of the church, of that particular church. How did the church there at Antioch grow? And we'll look at the verses 22 through to 26 with that in mind. Okay, verse 22. Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church was in Jerusalem. And they sent forth Barnabas that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man and was full of the Holy Ghost and of faith and much people was added to the Lord. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves within the church and they taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. First of all, who was involved in this, in the growth? Not the establishment, but now the growth of the church. Okay, well, we see here there were, there were two main characters. And the first one was Barnabas. It's interesting. Barnabas was a Jew. He was a Jew who had been raised on the island of Cyprus. So he probably had friends among those initial believers fleeing from Jerusalem who were from Cyprus. They went down to Antioch to do the, the church planting down there. He probably had friends that went down there and started that up. So he was quite a... A, uh, a good choice to send someone down there. But, uh, okay, so he was a Jew. Now, the church of Jerusalem uh, sent Barnabas down to Antioch after they heard reports that there were Gentiles down in Antioch that apparently had come to faith and were part of the church down there. They heard those reports and they were very uncomfortable about that, about not just Gentiles being proselytes to the Jews, but Gentiles actually becoming Christians, and not just a few of them, quite a few of them. They were unsettled about that. So they chose someone from their church to go down to Antioch and check that out to see if it was authentic. And Barnabas did that. He walked down, and it's a long way, a long way. Um, we saw um, Andrew Lewis about um, in, in April, okay, and so we've got a little bit of a idea of the distances there that's a long way to walk from jerusalem to antioch uh, we took a bus right up to um to dan and we're um um the the sacrifices were being made on the altar uh who was it who, who, who was the king that did that who's the king that that stopped people from going down to jerusalem jeroboam jeroboam we went up there we took a bus that was a long ride Barnabas walked past there, went into Syria, all the way to Antioch. So it was a long walk. Anyway, um, Barnabas went there, and uh, uh, Luke tells us that after Barnabas arrived, he thought he saw clear evidence that the grace of God had been at work. God was in this. The Holy Spirit was at work. And so not only did Barnabas see that, but he wanted to be a part of it. He was certain that God was in that. So... 
he began to exhort the new believers and encourage them to remain faithful to the Lord. In a place like Antioch, where people were constantly partying and indulging themselves in all the pleasures of Sin City, that was a very appropriate ministry to have. Luke said he, thinks, he said things like, Cleave to the Lord, you people. Be faithful to the Lord. Don't allow yourselves to be pulled back to the old way of life that you've come out of. No, cleave to the Lord and press on. So he exhorted, he exhorted uh, the, the new church down there in Antioch. And so he, he played a key part in, in the growth of the church by providing that initial encouragement and exhortation so uh, that the, the new believers down there were needing. And Luke also adds at the end of that little section there that uh, Barnabas' Barnabas's ministry was apparently very effective because a lot of other people also became believers during that time as well. Okay, so the first person that had a, a role in the growth of the church was Barnabas. Now, the second person in assisting the, the church to grow was Saul. Apparently, not long after Barnabas began his ministry among the people there at Antioch, he realised that he needed help. There were a lot of people being added to the church very quickly. And a lot of them apparently were bringing a lot of baggage from their indulging in the pleasures of, of, pleasures of Sin City. They were coming into the church with a lot of baggage. And Barnabas was finding it quite a handful to handle all that. And so not long after he began his ministry, he thought, I need help. And he, he went up to Tarsus, where he knew Saul was, and he looked around for a while, found him, and he asked Saul to go back to Antioch and to help him because the job was too much. <laughs> it was too much. He needed help. And Saul considered it, and, and he agreed. He went back and he helped Barnabas uh, down there in Antioch. So... Who was involved? Saul and Barnabas. Next, what did they do? Well, Luke tells us that for a year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church on a regular basis and they taught them God's word. They taught them God's word. So let's not go past that too quickly. Just like... The preaching of God's word, we read about a few moments ago, was the basis for the establishment of the church. Back in the beginning. So now we read that the teaching of God's word was the basis for the growth of the church. And this is what Barnabas and Saul gave their energy to. They gave their attention to for a full year. They assembled a church regularly and they taught them they instructed them God's word. Now, why is that so significant? Well, firstly, it gives us, gives us a clearer understanding of what the task of missions involves. We can see from this that missions is not just the task of proclaiming the gospel. Missions is not just the task of telling other people the gospel and seeing them come to Christ. Oh, that is so important. You haven't got a body of believers if you don't do that. But missions is more than that. The primary goal of missions is broader 
than just proclaiming the gospel to an unreached people group and seeing them come to the Lord. The primary goal of missions is the planting of churches among unreached people groups like that. In order for that to happen, there needs to be evangelism. The gospel must be proclaimed. It must be understood. It must be received by faith. But there also needs to be ongoing teaching in which the converts are assembled together and they're taught and instructed regularly in order that they grow as believers and develop as a church. That is the goal of missions. It's, it's, it, it's the development of, of the church. Barnabas and Saul recognised that. They saw that new believers needed more than just conversion, as important as that is. That's essential conversion. But new believers need more than that. They needed sound teaching that really grounds people in the word of God and radically, radically transforms the way they think. And that's what they did. They gave their full attention to discipling these new believers by teaching them God's word. Just like the Lord Jesus told the disciples to do before he went back to heaven, to disciple those that respond to the gospel. So first of all, it gives us an idea of what the task, it gives us a clearer idea of what the task of missions involves. It's, it's the teaching of God's word as well. Not just the proclamation, not just the, the teaching of the gospel, but the, the, the teaching as well. Secondly, it also gives us a clear understanding of what the goal of missions is. And that's, as I said a few moments ago, it's bringing a church to maturity, the goal of missions, bringing a church to maturity. And that's what Barnabas and Saul accomplished. The believers at Antioch were transformed. They changed outwardly as they sat under the rich teaching and preaching of Barnabas and Saul on a regular basis, week after week. The, the believers were changing, they were growing. We know that because as time progressed, there was a realisation among the general population of Antioch, outside the doors of the church, there was a realisation among them that uh, these believers who were meeting were different that, that, that were different uh, to the other Gentiles in the city, and they were also different to the Jews that were meeting as well. Th th these believers that were congregating and being taught by uh, Barnabas and Saul, they, they, didn't, they, they weren't a part of the parting scene that, uh, that the Gentiles carried on, and, but they also weren't a part of the synagogue scene as well. They were different. And so the unbelievers of Antioch coined a term in order to describe this new group of people. They called them Christians, and that was probably a derogatory term. It was meant to be a put-down. But nevertheless, it indicates that the teaching, preaching ministry of Paul and Barnabas was having results. These people were being changed. They were radically different. Even after just a year, they were radically different from the Gentiles and even the Jews outside the congregation that was meeting, they were distinctively different to the culture around them. And that's the result of being saturated by truth, by the truth. Okay. So just to clarify there, so why, why 
what they do? They taught the word of God. Why is it so significant? Because it clears us, it gives us a clear understanding of the task of missions. The task of missions is teaching. It's um, it's the planning of churches, teaching and preaching and teaching, planning churches, and the goal of missions, bringing the church to maturity. Okay, and that brings us to our third point, and I'll cover this one fairly quickly, just more briefly for this one here. So the third thing we see in the passage, something else which suggests also that the church at Antioch is responding to the teaching they're receiving uh, from Barnabas and Saul, and that is we see the church ministering themselves, the ministry of the church in verses 27 to 30. Okay, let's read those verses, 27 to the end, end of the chapter. And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwell at Judea. Uh, in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. Okay, so the believers there in Antioch, they learnt that the believers in Judea were suffering from a very severe famine and they needed help. They, they needed some sort of help. They heard that and they responded. They did that. They gave them help. Okay, so who was involved and what did they, what did they do? Well, Luke tells us that the church took a collection and that the money from that collection was intended uh, to be used for the famine relief appeal. And who was involved? Well, Luke tells us that every, every man, every man of the church, every family of the church was involved in that. Uh, they gave according to their ability. Those that could give a lot, gave a lot. Those that couldn't give as much, gave what they could. So the whole church came together they heard of, of, of other believers in another place. They took a collection and they, they ministered to those believers down there in Judea. Okay, who was involved? What did they do? An appeal. They took a collection and they, they all helped out. Now, why is that significant? Okay, well, there are three things we can say about this. First of all, this generosity is in contrast with their selfish pagan background. Remember that these believers are citizens of Sin City and they've come out of that culture. Before they were converted, the idea of giving money to people that they would probably never see, people they didn't know and probably would never see, that would have been quite foreign because there are other ways to spend your money in Sin City that were far more desirable. So the fact that so many people willingly and sacrificially gave amounts in order to um, help some people down in Judea was evidence that change was taking place in their lives. Change was happening. So the generosity is in contrast to their selfish pagan background. First point. Second point. Why is it so significant? Because... Doing that, giving money like that, also shows that these believers are beginning to view, view, view themselves as being part of a larger group. 
they were aware that in some way, somehow, they were related to those people way down there in Judea. That they never knew. That they probably would never see. They knew that there was some sort of a relationship between their group and the group down there as well. Luke uses the word brethren. The, the brothers, the brethren down there were in need and, and they're sort of part of us as well. And so they helped out. And that's a very positive thing as well. It's a, an important part of thinking Christianly to realise we're part of a bigger picture. It's not just us here. We're part of a bigger picture. We're part of the Church of Christ. There are other bodies of believers that meet as well. We're part of them as well. There's a relationship there as, there as well. The believers at Antioch were beginning to realise that. And so they, they ministered to their brethren way down in uh, Jerusalem and Judea. Thirdly, it shows that the church is beginning to have an outward look and take responsibility themselves for ministering to needs. And that's what missionaries are aiming um, to do. To, to, that's what they want to see. When a church has reached the stage of being able to function on its own as a self-supporting, self-governing, self-propagating body, then the task of the missionary in that particular um, circumstance or, or context is pretty well coming to a conclusion. Because... Um, yeah, he's pretty well accomplished what he needs to do and he can move on. And we see here that the church at Antioch is moving in that direction. They're beginning to take responsibility for ministering themselves to needs around them. Now, as we read about that, it almost seems like the church of Antioch is almost ready to send out their own missionaries themselves, aren't they? Uh, to start churches in other areas. Yeah, sort of, that seems to be what... The signs that they're displaying there that they almost choose a couple of their own to send out to places like Lystra and Iconium and Philippi and Thessalonica and Corinth and so forth. It's looking good. Okay. So and, and that, so we've got there the uh, the establishment of the church, the growth of the church, and finally we saw the church ministering themselves, the ministry of the church. Okay, let's finish up with some principles. What are some things that we can um, conclude from our study from this passage? Okay, well, I've got five things there that we're going to put in our suitcase and take home with us from the message this morning. First of all, um, number one, I think we conclude, we can conclude from what we've looked at this morning is that God is all for missions and outreach. Right through the book of Acts, we come across cases in which God is either taking the initiative himself to get the gospel out or is supporting those that are doing it for him. And we've seen that today as well. It's clear that the work of missions and local church outreach is something that is really close to God's heart. He's in it. And so if God's in it, if it's something which is really special for him, and we can be assured that it's something worthwhile for us to participate in as well. If it means so much to him, then it's something worthwhile for us to involve ourselves in missions and also local church outreach. Number two, 
God is the one who prospered the work. Something we saw today as well. Those who went to Antioch to witness for him, to share the gospel and to serve him, didn't labour alone. Luke tells us that the hand of the Lord was with them. So God blessed their efforts. God worked through their conversations and their explanations of the gospels and so forth. God was the one who prospered the work. Luke points it out to us. He wants us to see that. God prospered the work. God got the results. Number two. Number three. Another principle that comes out of this section is that the preaching and teaching of the word of God is central to the work of missions. The preaching of the word of God was the thing that brought people to the Lord in the first place. And then the teaching, the ongoing teaching of the word of God was the main thing that transformed their lives outwardly. And so this is something that we need to stress in our outreaches, outreach attempts, our endeavours to share the gospel with others as well. The place of the word of God in in what we share in, and in our efforts needs to be central in our efforts to, to reach others for Christ. That's number three, the central place of the preaching and the teaching of the word of God. Number four, another thing that comes out of of this passage but also out of Acts as a whole is that people play a crucial role in missions and local church outreach. As Carey pointed out many years ago, only God can do a spiritual work in the hearts of people. If, if the message of the gospel, of God's word, is, is going to mean something to people and the lights go on as they hear it, it's not just disregarded. If that's going to happen, it's got to be a work of God. God has got to do that in the hearts of people. Otherwise, it'll be like seed that is discarded. But Carey pointed out that God uses means for that to happen. He uses people for that to happen. People need to go. And we see that here in, in this passage as well. He used the unnamed men of Cyprus and Cyrene to present the gospel to the people of Antioch. He worked through them. And he used people such as Barnabas and Saul to bring the church to maturity, to edify the body of believers there. Only God can do the work, but he uses people. He works through people who are serving him. It just doesn't come out of thin air. And then finally, number five, the gospel can make a big difference in the lives of people. It can. It can make a big difference. It can bring about change, even in very difficult circumstances. We saw here how... Even in a city as base, as low as Antioch, the Las Vegas playground of its day, Sin City of the first century, even, even in Las Vegas, people can come to faith. It works. People can come to faith and can mature as believers. It works. So the gospel can make a difference. And so going out with it through missions, through local church outreach, is a very positive and constructive endeavour. And it's well worth the effort that we put into it. So five principles there uh, as we conclude our message this morning. Okay, so this afternoon...
um, we'll pick up from there and uh, that was the theory and we'll look at a bit of practice I guess this afternoon sort of okay um, if you can I just would, would invite you to come and uh, we'll focus on the coal ministry itself and you'll see some things that are going on and yes it'll give you a good idea about what you've been supporting uh, over the last few years let's pray and then I'll hand it back to Pastor, Pastor Gavin our Father in heaven thank you for the word of God we've got it here before us this morning we can open it up we can consider it we thank you Lord that the Holy Spirit is there to be our teacher to help us to understand it that it uh, lights turn on in our minds in a sense in our hearts and we can receive it thank you so much we need that we need your word we need you to be our teacher and we pray that you'll continue to teach us and encourage us help us Lord to grow as believers ourselves as well and especially encourage us to uh, share the gospel to be involved in outreach where we can just like the believers did many years ago fleeing from Jerusalem going down to Antioch sharing the gospel scattering seed and allowing the spirit of God to to use that in the lives of people please father encourage our hearts help us to um, really be built up in the things of the Lord this morning as we consider these things we pray in Jesus name amen <laughs>